Hi everyone, Pastor Michael here, and I want to thank you for tuning in to our sermon podcast. I want to encourage you to use this resource in addition to, and not in place, of belonging to a local church body as you grow in your faith. If this sermon is a blessing, would you consider giving back to Springs Church? You could do that by giving on the app or by visiting the gift tab on our website at springs.church. I pray this sermon increases your passion for Christ and helps you grow in your walk with God. Well, I'm excited to get into the Word this morning. We're going to talk about life in the Spirit. So Romans chapter 8. Let me begin by just thanking you guys. There was uh, so many of you guys called and gave us cards and brought meals and just loved on us as we welcomed home our fourth baby. And uh, you would think we know what we're doing by now, but we're still figuring it out. Uh, But thank you guys. We really appreciate just the community that we get to be a part of here. It was funny. I I sent the elders a text as baby Araya was coming, and I just said, guys, all right, hey, be praying. Baby's coming. She's a couple weeks early. Just lift Annie up. So all the elders were sending back encouraging things. Hey, we got you covered. We got you covered. And then your pastor, Michael, sends me the text. Don't name her helicopter. That name is mine. Don't name her helicopter. (laughs) So that's his form of encouragement. I was tempted to name her Chopper Coker just to jab at him a little bit. Uh, But Danny wouldn't let me do that. Something about needing to get a job one day or something to that effect. I don't know. Uh, Well, shall we pray? Father God, thank you for your presence with us. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for your word. As we open up Romans 8 today, God, would you speak to us? Lord, my thoughts and my imaginations and illustrations can only take us so far, but the the work that has to happen in our hearts is only a work your spirit can accomplish. So would you meet with us? God, would you draw near to us in your strength and in your power? And would you do within us what only you can do, God? Glorify the Son. Glorify Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's read together in Romans chapter 8. I'm just going to read verses 1 through 8, and then our title of our conversation today is Life in the Spirit. There is, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now, of everything that we might talk about for the next few minutes, the main idea that I want us to take home is that as Christians, we are to set our minds on the promises of the Spirit so that we can walk in the power of the Spirit. We're setting our minds on the promises of the Spirit so we can walk in the power of the Spirit. And you might ask, well, what are the promises of the Holy Spirit? And so before we get to the end of the sermon, I believe there are five things that the Holy Spirit has promised us right here in Romans 8. 
And if we can apply those things in our prayer lives, that's actually where we begin to set our minds on spiritual things. That's how we understand what the text means about thinking on spiritual things. The Christian life is a spiritual life. And without that understanding, nothing else that we do ever makes any sense. Fasting, prayer, reading an ancient text to look for answers for today and for the future, giving your money, serving, volunteering after you've worked all week, doing those things only in the strength of the flesh will never totally make sense unless you understand the spiritual implications behind them. So the Christian life is a spiritual life. You know, a while back, I was doing some work back in my office, and um, I just needed a, a quick stretch, and so I got up, and as I was walking out in the staff area, some of the young adults were back there playing with a VR headset, a virtual reality headset. And so as I'm walking by, they said, hey, Pastor Billy, do you want to try this? Which felt like a setup. Um, so I put it on long enough for them to laugh at me, and then I gave it back. Uh, and I'm sure you guys know what this is, but the, the intent of, of what the VR headset is, is you, you sit it on your face, and immediately you're thrust into another realm, another reality. So even though you're standing in a physical room, your, your mind is focused, your eyes can only see something happening somewhere else. And the funny part about it is, everybody else is standing in the same physical room, but they can't see what you see. So you're banging into furniture, you're hitting walls, you're, you're stumbling around, and it all makes sense with what you're trying to do. You've got the controllers in your hand, and you're, you're fighting off the enemies, and you're completing your objectives, but your mind is focused on another world. And I had to take the headset off pretty quickly because I didn't want to explain to the elders why I broke bookshelves and I'm supposed to be working on budgets. Um, but I would argue that in a lot of ways, the, the VR headset is a lot like what Paul is asking us to do. He's saying, I want you to put on a spiritual reality headset. And, and the benefit of the spiritual reality headset is that instead of escaping the physical world and going into this virtual reality, it actually clarifies what's happening in the world around us. So a lot of times we think about being spiritually minded and, and you've had those friends and sometimes we've been guilty of it where everything is just heaven and imagining what the chubby little naked baby angels look like and trying to sketch out when Jesus comes back, which are good things. However, if it doesn't produce righteous action in this life, it's not what the Lord intends for having a spiritual mindset. Amen? So Paul says we are to set our minds, put on that spiritual reality headset, and as we set our minds on the promises of the Spirit, we begin to walk in the power of the Spirit. Now before we detail the, the five promises, like I said, of, of the Holy Spirit in the text, we have to remember the, the core purpose of the Holy Spirit and what He does in our lives is constantly reminds us of the Gospel. He lives to exalt the Son. He lives to bring us back to the reality of what Jesus did for us by taking our condemnation on himself and giving us righteousness. Everywhere that the gospel is preached, the Holy Spirit is there empowering, encouraging, stirring faith. Believe this by faith. Respond in the Spirit. So let's take a look at the text to understand a little bit of what Jesus did for us and how the Holy Spirit draws us into a place of faith in responding to it. So again, from verse 1, he says, there is, no, there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And this is the greatest promise. We'll, we'll spend the rest of eternity trying to explain and, and think through this mysterious love that God has for us. 
this mysterious saving power that he has for us. And so the Bible says there is no condemnation. In other words, those of us that are in Christ Jesus are presented as blameless in eternity. The Bible says he keeps us from stumbling and he presents us blameless. And so we have this hope, we have this promise from the Lord that we no longer stand condemned because of our sin. And I think sometimes we forget how grave our sin really is. And I know that because we nickname it. It's not a lie, it's a fib. It's not cheating, I'm just checking to see if the grass is greener on the other side. It's not stealing, it's a loophole in my taxes. We, we nickname it, we soften it. But when you think about a holy God, a perfect God, the, the nature of the character of God, and for us to transgress, for us to cut across what he commands of us is no small thing. So the promise that we no longer stand condemned is the greatest news that we're ever going to have as humanity. So he goes on and he says, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, that's, that language is a little bit dense, but, but at the core of everything, it's the foundation of the gospel. And the way that Paul says it simply in other places, uh, for example, when he's teaching Timothy, and he says, as you're raising up leaders in the church, as you're trying to figure out who you can trust to be a, a teacher and a leader in the church, you always begin with this. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. That's the core of everything. Everything else pivots off of that. He goes on in Corinthians and he says, the one that knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So there's this incredible exchange. We get his righteousness, he takes our condemnation. He gives us a new life. And when he saves us, he doesn't just save us and then we get to kind of skimper into heaven at the end of, of the age and become street sweepers in heaven. He raises us up into the identity of his son. We are children of God. We're not just going to heaven and we'll be responsible for, for ironing robes and combing out the feathers of the angels. We're going in with the same inheritance that Jesus has. Amen. So he presents us blameless. You know, we, we're all very familiar with the, the crucifixion. And we know that our Lord suffered for us on this, this torture device, the cross. But there's another a kind of heinous activity from, from the Romans, and they were especially sadistic with, with criminals and, and the way that they would kill people. Um, they had this other tactic, especially for people that were condemned to die because of murder. So if you, if you murdered someone um, and, and you were convicted and you were caught, one of the ways that they would make you suffer is the corpse of the person you killed, they would actually attach them to you. And so you would spend the next few weeks as this thing is decomposing on you, that body was literally rotting you. This body of death is stuck, it's clinging to you. They, they would attach it to your wrist, sometimes it's face to face, and so the putrid smells and the, the, as it, the thing is decomposing, it's actually rotting you. So the body of death is literally killing you. Now I know that's morbid and that's a lot for 9.30 in the morning, but think about it spiritually for a minute. That, that is the picture of sin. That old body of death that clings to us. But imagine, you're, you're guilty. You're standing in front of these, the Roman judge and the counselors, and you've got no way out. And they're reading off your sentence. You're condemned because of murder. You're convicted. You're caught. You're guilty. And your sentence is 
that the one that you killed, you're going to have to have them strapped to you. You're going to carry them around and you're going to be humiliated in the community. No one can touch you. No one can talk to you. No one can set you free from this. And you've got to carry this around until the decomposing corpse actually kills you. And as you're searching your heart and your mind trying to find words to plead for mercy and you're, you're thinking of, well, how can I get out of this? Maybe I can do some community. Is there something I can do to get out of this? And you hear some shuffling over here and you look. And the king that all of them report to has picked up the body. And he's attaching it to himself in your place. And no one's going to stop the king. He's got the authority. And if he wants to lay his life down, he can do that. You see, that's the picture of the gospel. Jesus came and picked up the body of death in our place. And he carried that for us. And so it's, it's foolish of us. Amen. Amen. So it's, it's foolish of us to try to respond to that in the flesh. So what the work of the Holy Spirit is, is for us to listen and hear the gospel and respond by faith, respond in the spirit. It would make no sense for us to, to have that illustration. Someone just picked up a decomposing body in our place and then we say, you know what, in, in addition to that, I held the door open for this lady at King Supers. I also uh, joined a community group. I, I did a lot of really good things. I gave to a missionary. None of those things help in the story of our salvation. It's in Christ alone. The Bible says, by grace and through faith. So we respond in faith. And the work of the Holy Spirit is to keep that illustration front and center for us and to prompt faith in our hearts, to cause us to respond with a mindset on spiritual things. Amen? Amen. If you happen to go to Pastor Michael's office for counseling and you really want to impress him, uh, you can memorize this, this particular verse about the, the gospel. It's his favorite um, so Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so Paul is demonstrating for us what it actually looks like to respond in faith. What it looks like to respond with a mindset on spiritual things. So again, in verses 2 and 3, we, we learn Jesus came into the world, took his, our condemnation upon himself, and fulfilled righteousness within us. We can't add to that, but we're to respond by faith. So the promise is announced to those that are in Christ Jesus, and the promise is fulfilled in those that walk according to the Spirit. Now, I started to talk about this a little bit, and just as a, a bit of a side note, again, we sometimes fall into the trap of trying to respond to the gospel through the flesh. Sometimes that comes through religious works. We think all of a sudden I've got to ramp up, you know, maybe I need to, to, to start a ministry. I've got, we, we try to do all of these things to add to the work of what Jesus did for us. Um, but a spiritual mindset recognizes we're responding by faith. There's nothing in our flesh that we're gonna to add to what Jesus did. Paul even rebukes the Galatians and he says, are you foolish? He literally says, who bewitched you? Who put a curse on you that you would think you could begin in the spirit and then do something in the flesh to support it? He says, you're under a curse if you think that. Jesus also says, it's the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. And so the call for us is to lay down our lives. Like he says to Peter, it's not about whether you can follow me in ministry and whether you have all the gifts and all those things. He says, you're to deny yourself, lay down your, your, your life, pick up your cross and follow me. So it's a death to the flesh. 
Complacency is another thing that we, we struggle with as we're trying to respond to the gospel in faith. A flesh response is complacency. It's this idea of kind of having your head in the clouds. Well, Jesus did it all, so I'll kick back and just wait. He'll be back. Paul rebuked the Thessalonians about idleness. They had this mindset, some of them, that, well, I don't have to work. I don't have to do anything here. Uh, Jesus is coming back. We're just going to wait. Let's just watch the sky. When are the clouds going to part? But like I said earlier, a real spiritual mindset produces righteous action in the here and now. And so we're not just going to be sitting and waiting for the day. Danny and I kind of joke a little bit about this. Um, you know, when we first got married, she found out really, really quickly um, that I am not a do-it-yourself guy. I don't know how to fix hardly anything around the house. I'm good. I can tinker. I can go to YouTube and go buy stuff. But I just was not raised that way. We moved a lot. We, you just, if you couldn't fix it with a screwdriver or a vice grip, you were making a phone call. We just didn't, you know. And so, but, but the joke and kind of what we would, we would laugh about was I, I knew the scriptures. I could pray and, and I could lead us in Bible study. But man, if something broke in the house, I was of no earthly good. So in some sense, I was like the Thessalonians. I, I got my eyes on heaven. I can, I can lead us. If we ever had a small group or a community group, hey, that'd be great. We'd be, you know, flowing in the word of God. But man, don't let a light go out. Don't let a door not be broken. I was of no earthly good. And so we joke back and forth about those things. The same is true with hunting. You, you Colorado guys with your flannels and your pocket knives, I, I haven't learned it. I've been here a long time. It just hasn't. I'm waiting on the Holy Spirit to bring that life out of me. I don't have it. When I go with uh, Danny's dad and her, and her brother, we go camping and uh, we ride dirt bikes and I'll shoot guns with them and, and he'll say, so, so, you know, do you ever want to try hunting? Like, I'm, not shooting any, I'm not shooting an animal. And Danny will say, well, what if, what if the end times come and we have to all gather our own food? My rule of thumb is this. I don't care how good of a shot I am. If I make eye contact with an animal, that's my pet now and I can't kill it. <laughs> So I would be of no earthly use to her at the end unless God's going to rain down bread. I'll pray. You can rain down manna for us, but I'm not hunting. I can't do it. So I'm of no earthly good in that sense. She loves me. She loves me anyway. Another flesh response is that we give up on the gospel because of the cares of life. We get overwhelmed. We forget that suffering is a part of our walk. In fact, the Bible talks about a fellowship of suffering with Jesus. And we get so crushed, we get so overwhelmed, and we forget that we have to see even suffering through that spiritual headset, the spiritual reality. And if we can set our minds on Jesus' suffering and on eternity, it gives context to suffering here. But when we forget about the spiritual mindset, um, it's easy for us to fall off course and walk away from the path. There are plenty of others. The last one I'll hit on is what, what I call a restless righteousness. It's this place where you know the gospel, you want to believe the gospel, and yet you can't get yourself unhinged from this old sin. That old body of death keeps haunting you. Satan uses that to discourage us, and he holds us back. He, he blocks the way of, of us walking with Jesus. He, he begins to discourage us in the place of calling. Well, I told you you were never going to be free from that. You belong to me. You really want to start a business with what you've done? I'll make sure everybody knows about those sins. You think you want to go into ministry? I'll let everybody see your laptop. He holds us under that body of death. And this announcement that there's no condemnation, we forget it. And while we're holding the Bible and reading the promises, we're trying to drag this corpse behind us. But the Spirit is life within us. 
overcoming the body of death and reminding us of freedom in Christ. And so this place of restless righteousness, I call it, Paul even wrestled with it. You know, we start off chapter one or verse one saying, there is therefore now no condemnation. Where he came from was at the end of chapter seven, he was in this place of restless righteousness. He was saying, I know the power of God. I believe in what Jesus says, but the good that I want to do, I don't find myself doing. It's the evil that I don't want to do. That's what I keep giving myself to. And he says, what a wretched man I am. Who's going to save me? And he says, who's going to deliver me from this body of death? And that's what sets us up to begin talking about the gospel. And so I want you guys to be encouraged that every Romans 7 experience has a Romans 8 promise. Never sit in that valley of letting the enemy taunt you and hold your sins over you. You got to get to Romans 8 because that's the promise of the Spirit for us. Amen? I even wrestled with this myself. I was on a prayer walk in my, my neighborhood a few months back and I'm just walking around and praying and all of a sudden I started to have this vision of how cool it would be if every porch was filled with neighbors just reading the Bible and worshiping together. So I'm just kind of imagining this and I'm like, man, praise God, that would be awesome. So then I cut down the street, I don't normally walk down, and there was a Mercedes kind of hanging off the driveway. The, the back of it was sitting kind of in the sidewalk, and so I had to walk around it. As I walk around it, the trunk was open, and I noticed there was a pair of Jordan sneakers and a bottle of vodka in there. Now, I don't drink, and I haven't bought Jordan sneakers in forever, but I'm in the middle of prayer, and then my mind switches to, how much money could I get if I stole that? In the middle, don't judge, you guys, come on. But in the middle of my prayer, all of a sudden, my mind switches to, man, I bet I could get away with that. And how much could I make off of that? I don't wear Jordan sneakers. I haven't bought that stuff in a while. I don't drink. But all of a, <laughs> uh, all of a sudden, I'm going from like revival and, and God saved the neighborhood to how much could I get if I stole that stuff? So it's this incredible sense of what I call the restless righteousness. I know the way I ought to go but it's the evil that I keep giving myself to. How do I actually get free from this body of death? Now we know that we're not gonna ever be totally sinless in this life. The Lord sanctifies us and in eternity we'll be totally free. But when we understand the work of the Spirit in us, even though we might not totally be free, we find greater degrees of freedom as we walk with the Spirit. So that taste that you had, if, you're, if you struggled with alcoholism, you'll find he'll put a distaste in your mouth. You don't want that stuff anymore. You don't feel fulfilled any longer. The Bible says be filled with the Spirit, not drunk, not filled with wine. So you begin to find pleasure in reading God's Word for comfort instead of going to the bottle. He gives you greater and greater degrees of freedom as you walk with Him and trust in His promises. Amen? So we have to ask or answer um, what it is that these promises are in the Holy Spirit, these five promises. Uh, and before we get to that, just one other section that, that we should probably hit quickly, which is uh, just picking up here in verse five. And it's the contrast. We've talked a little bit about the spiritual life and having your mind set on spiritual things. Paul jumps straight to the end of the story and he says, if your mind is set on things of flesh, it's death. And from that place, he walks backwards and he brings it right into our lap to help us understand if you're anywhere on this trajectory, here's where it leads. So he says in verse uh, five, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. In verse seven he says, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile 
to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You could almost read it this way. Um, To set the mind on the flesh is death, which comes from a hostility towards God, which comes from not submitting to his law, which comes from being unable to submit to his law, which comes from a lack of faith. So he walks you all the way back. So when, when the Bible says you can't please God, it's the same language in Hebrews 11 where it says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So if my mind is set on the things of the flesh, I'm dependent on myself. I'm seeking what pleases me. In a sense, I'm becoming my own God. I've even been guilty of this as a Christian. I know the promises of God, but I set my own path. Lord, I want that job, I want that salary, I want that influence. Jesus, why don't you come along and bring your power with you, bring some of your wisdom with you. In effect, I'm, I'm making Jesus my disciple. Jesus is Lord, he's not anybody's disciple. But we set ourselves on a path of pleasing self and then we invite him along, hey, follow me. Come and follow me and help me achieve my mission and my purposes. But what he says is that we're to put to death the deeds of the flesh and be filled with the spirit. And we come to a place, again, we're starting with a mindset on the gospel and what he gave for us on the cross and then our life takes off from there. We let him lead us. But those who are in the flesh cannot please God, which is the same language as saying we're operating without faith. Now, if you're focused on self and you're relying on yourself, the next step it says here is that you will not submit to God's law. Indeed, you will not be able to. So it's talking about the progressive nature of sin. If I'm focused on self and I want to be my own God, eventually I'm going to make my own rules and that's going to bring me into conflict with God's rules for my life, God's laws for my life. And so as you continue to insist or or persist in, in rejecting God's laws and rebelling against God's laws, there's a hardening that sets in in your heart. The first time that you steal, your heart might be pumping and your, and your adrenaline's rushing and you, and you feel that. Man, I just got away with that. But after the hundredth time of getting away with it, it doesn't bother you as much because there's a hardness that's setting in. It doesn't mean that it's okay the hundredth time because you didn't get caught. But the longer that we resist God's law and God's command in our lives, a hardness begins to set in. And that's why it goes from saying you, you don't obey his law. Indeed, you can't. A spiritual blindness has set in now. And you are self-deceived. The next step from there, it says, is that you become hostile towards God. So we saw this with Cain and Abel from the very beginning. Cain was angry at God. His sacrifice was rejected, and he took it out, and he murdered his brother. So we become hostile to God in that progressive nature of sin. It gets us little by little, and it drags us and drags us and drags us. It hardens us, and then it destroys us. And when you're hostile towards God, when you're set at war with God because your mind is on the flesh, you not only are angry at God, but you hate everyone that's made in his image. You, you have no tolerance for the preaching of the word, no tolerance for the church. And it's the same heart that led Cain to kill Abel. And nothing awaits a rebel in a situation like that other than death, an utter and total separation from God and an eternal torment. This idea of thinking about eternity and then living backwards Uh, it's a good principle for us. I had someone come into my office who was having a really hard time and uh, was was contemplating ending his life. Now, he didn't go to the church. He he didn't know anything about church. As I had conversations with him, he didn't know much about the gospel or God or God's love. 
but his dad was so concerned for him that from out of state, he called him and said, hey, don't do anything. Just go to a church. Someone in there will know what to do. So he ended up in my office and we're talking and I'm sitting across the desk and I'm just looking at him and I'm trying, I'm praying in the spirit. I'm trying to find words. I'm, I'm like, how do I comfort someone like this? He was so distraught because he had just committed a, a crime and he had just gotten out of jail and he was gonna be sentenced and there was a chance he was gonna be going away for a long time. And he was just hopeless. He was terrified, he was hopeless, he was ashamed. He couldn't look at me for more than a couple of seconds and then he had to look back down. His tears were just flowing off of him. And I, I just sat there thinking, how do I bring comfort to someone like that? What could I say to someone like that? And I'm just waiting on the Lord to speak. And as this guy is sharing with me, he says, you know, the only thing that has stopped me from doing it is I don't know what God's gonna think about it. Now this is someone who doesn't know the Lord. No concept of what it means to be in church. He, he hadn't even, to my knowledge, I don't think he even heard the gospel, but somehow he knew God has something to say about what we do with our life on this earth. And right then the spirit quickened me and I said, that's it. I said, begin with that moment. All of us are gonna stand before a holy God one day and give an account for our lives. Live backwards from that. Find hope in the fact that even if you don't understand all of what I'm talking about, you're gonna to have to face the one that created you and give an account for your life. Let that at least give you a measure of hope. Live backwards from that. And by God's grace, he gave his life to the Lord. He signed up to get baptized. He's reading, he called me, said, I just read through all the gospels. This is amazing, this is crazy. But, but that is what it means to, to set your mind on spiritual things. And that's what it produces. It's not just about daydreaming about eternity, but you set your mind on the hope of glory in the Lord and he produces righteous action in the here and now. So I wanna encourage us with, like I said, five promises from the Holy Spirit. And I believe these things all speak to what we've talked about. You know, and we say set your mind on spiritual things and I've said what it's not. I've said it's not about the, the baby angels and all those things, but what is it then? What should we be thinking about and how are we gonna empower our prayer lives so we respond to the gospel in the right faith? And so I don't have time to go through all of, all of these in depth, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna just kind of jump across five promises as they're laid out across chapter eight here. And then we'll spend some time praying together. First and foremost, it says that a promise of the Holy Spirit in verse two is freedom. It says, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And I think we've exhausted the illustrations there talking about how the Holy Spirit lives to remind us of the gospel and keep us free from trying to pick up that body of death again because there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. So he reminds us of the gospel continually. Secondly, if you jump down, uh, verses 9 to 11, it says the spirit is life within us. So you imagine God actually dwells within us. He accomplishes righteousness within us. When we say that he's life within us, it's not just a heartbeat and breath. It's righteous life within us. So when we set our minds on spiritual things and we talk about righteous action, he lives that through us. He accomplishes the good works of the Lord through us. We went on a... Um, a vacation uh, last summer or the summer before, and we were at this resort in Arizona, and um, Danny's cousins were at a better resort up the road, so every day we would kind of hang out at ours, and then we'd run over to theirs because they had a lazy river and all kinds of better food. So we took the kids and all their cousins, and we went in the lazy river. And I never can turn off dad mode, no matter what we're doing. I'm always looking at the risk. We sit in a restaurant, I have to face the door. I'm watching everybody coming in and out, and the same thing was happening on the lazy river. So we're sitting there, we're supposed to be kind of enjoying ourselves. 
I'm watching as kids are not using the steps. They're jumping off the side, and I'm like, they better not land on my babies. And then we're, we're watching, and they had these weird wasps that were like dive bombing. I'm like, they're going to sting one of my kids. And then there was this weird mustache guy that didn't have kids, but he was kind of watching everybody. So I got my eye on mustache man, and we're just kind of, we're just kind of floating along. And then we come around this little bend, and it's peaceful. It was kind of on the backside of the resort. Nothing was happening there. And I kind of look back, and I thought, man, no matter what I was worried about, the current just kind of carried me through it peacefully. It just brought me through it. And that's the life of the Spirit within us. You, you keep that spiritual mindset, and he says it's life and peace. It doesn't mean you won't have suffering. It doesn't mean you won't run into trials. It doesn't mean mustache man isn't going to make you anxious. But you're going to find that he's going to carry you through it with life and peace. He is life within us. In the third place, it says, uh, right around verse 13, um, that by the Spirit we put to death the deeds of the flesh. So every temptation that we have to go back and, and turn from the gospel, the temptation that we have to try to pick up that, that corpse, that body of death again, the Bible says that as any thoughts in your heart arise that exalt themselves above the knowledge of Christ, it's by the Spirit that you put those things down, you make them obey Christ. And so you don't have to live in Romans 7. You don't have to be this righteous, restless Christian of constantly feeling like, well, I was good on Monday, and then I wanted to cuss out my coworker on Tuesday, and then I came for prayer on Wednesday, but then I couldn't get off the website Thursday. The Holy Spirit puts to death the deeds of the flesh. The wrong example of this, just again, another side note, the, there was a, a time in church history where the some of the monks understood this idea of killing the flesh as literally trying to abuse the body. They would walk around flogging themselves as they prayed. God is not asking us to mutilate our flesh. He's talking about deeds of the flesh, temptations and sin that arises. You're going to battle against this until he comes back to get us. But like I said, you find greater degrees of victory as we trust in the promise. In the fourth place, he reminds us of our sonship. He reminds us that we are children of God. Now, when you understand who you are in the Lord, it changes the way you behave here. Uh, right around verse 16, it says that the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The example I was using, I was talking to Danielle about this, and, um, and she's so sweet. I was like, babe, does this example make sense? I'm going back and forth, and she's like, you're telling them to trust in the Spirit. Aren't you going to do it? <laughs> That's a good point, yeah. <laughs> um, but the, the example that I used with this was when I was in high school, um, I always had... Uh, really big headphones on around my neck, and I had ungodly music. It had something called a CD player. You young folks can ask your parents what that is. But I left it in my back pocket, and then I had a, another stack of CDs over here in case I needed to change things out. I had my phone over here, my wallet here, and all my clothes were three sizes too big. Basketball jerseys to the knees, jeans just sagging everywhere. Uh, I, I just, people thought I was bow-legged, but I just had so much in my pockets, and my pants were so big. <laughs> And me and all my friends look like this. We're like this pack of penguins walking through the neighborhood. But it never failed, no matter where we lived. Someone always knew my parents. Whether we moved overseas, we were on base, whatever neighborhood we were in, I'm running with my friends. Someone would always say, wait, aren't you Pastor Bill's boy? Aren't you Donna's kid? And the conviction would hit me so hard. I am not walking according to how I was raised. Knowing who my parents are, this is not the life I was created for. And so it is with the Holy Spirit when you're walking in ways that you were not created for, he reminds you, you're a child of God. What are you doing over there? What are you doing in that relationship? What are you doing meddling with that sin? You're a child of God. 
So he comes to lovingly and gently remind us, you are a son or a daughter of God. And if you really can grasp what that means in your life, it changes the way that we walk. Amen? And lastly, verse 26, it says that the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. He helps us through a very special type of strength. The Bible says that he prays for us, he intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. We don't even know how to pray as we ought to, the Bible says. I was talking with Pastor Michael and Pastor Dave a couple weeks ago, and we were trying to figure out a Wednesday night prayer meeting, and we had things happening in the nation and things happening on the mission field with some of our teams, and we were just kind of bouncing things around. And I can tell when I'm giving Michael ideas, whether he likes them or not, he's just kind of looking at me, and I'm like, well, that's not landing. And Pastor Dave was saying a few things, and we literally just came to a place where we said, we're just going to go on the prayer meeting and say, Lord, help us pray through this. We don't even know what to pray. And that's the role of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says he intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. He prays the perfect will of the Father in our lives. He, he draws our minds back to the memory of the gospel. And the Bible says he lives to intercede for us. Jesus himself lives to intercede for us. And so we have this great promise that the Holy Spirit is praying from within us. If you remember that Jesus was talking with Peter and he says to Peter, Satan has asked that he might have you. He wants to destroy you. He wants to sift you like wheat. And he didn't say, hey, I'm going to just put all these fiery arrows around you. I'm gonna, he, what he said was, I've prayed for you, that your faith would not fail. And that's the beautiful promise that we have, that our Savior, our Lord, and the very precious Holy Spirit is living to intercede and to pray on our behalf when we don't even know what to pray. A friend of mine was going through a hard time and was explaining in, in so many words that um, everything in life has failed around her and she just kind of feels like she's out in the middle of an ocean being thrown by waves and all she's got is the life jacket. And she's like, I'm, I'm just holding on to the life jacket with the last bit of strength I have and the life jacket is Jesus, is what she was describing. And as I was sitting there and we were kind of talking, I said, well, I, I think that's great, but in reality, it's not that you're holding on to him, it's that he's holding on to you. Amen. And that's, that's the promise that we have. That's the gift of the Holy Spirit. He's holding on to us. He's interceding for us. He's drawing our memory back to the gospel and, and ushering us into this life of eternity with Jesus. Amen? I'll invite the, the worship team back, and if you all would just stand with me. As you, as you think through the authority of the gospel, the promise that we have in the gospel, and the work of the Holy Spirit, I wonder which of those things connects with your heart. Is it that you're discouraged and need to be reminded who you are in the Lord, reminded you're a son or daughter? Is it that you are wanting to step forward in faith and believe the gospel and, and walk with the Lord, but man, there's a besetting sin you just can't lay down? Is there a depression that has just sat on you? Jossie shared a great testimony of 30 years of depression, and Jesus broke it off of her. Um, I want you to search your own hearts and, and see how the Lord might speak to you about how you might pray through the promises of the Holy Spirit so you can walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. If you remember in the book of Psalms, uh, David, and you know the life David had, uh, tumultuous, he went through a lot of things, people hunting his very life down, various wars, even making plenty of mistakes. And there came a place where he had to remind his own soul of the blessings of God. He says, forget not all his benefits. And he begins to list off the mercies of God. He forgives my sin, he heals my disease. And in the same way, we've got to take these promises of the Holy Spirit and pray them 
and remind our own hearts and set our minds back on the gospel. And that's what it is to set your, your mind on spiritual things and walk in the power of the Spirit. Amen? So let's just take a moment to reflect. I'll ask the worship team to, to go back with uh, maybe the Holy Spirit come. Let's just take a minute. Search your own heart. The altar is open. If you'd like to come up and just pray. Uh, let's just see what the Lord might say and then we'll close together. Thanks again for listening to our Springs Church podcast. For other exciting content from Springs Church, be sure to visit us online at springs.church. If you'd like to partner financially with Springs Church, you have the opportunity to give by visiting the Give tab of our website, springs.church.